everyone. Welcome back to the overlap. Um, it's been a crazy couple days. No, it's been a crazy couple weeks. I have since recovered from whatever I had, uh, probably coronavirus, but we'll, I guess, never know. Uh, Rian is stuck in New York, and we're joined today by our friend Peter to talk about some of the matches that we've, we've told you guys that we wanted to talk about and discuss and, and how important it was to the world of football. So, Rian and Peter, thanks for jumping on. What's going on? How are you guys doing in the midst of, of all this? I am bored. I'm very bored. Wow, that's yeah, very enlightening. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for having me, guys. I am uh, also pretty bored. Stuck in New York. Just been working from home this entire time. Just been chilling. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's pretty much... That's everyone's life now. Um, yeah. Peter's broken home. broken quarantine multiple times for sure. Just just to just to come into Manhattan and <laughs> absolutely just I guess just me and no one else <laughs> and and uh, and walk around the empty streets of yeah. Lower Manhattan is just like Take a nice stroll through empty Lower Manhattan. Completely dead. Completely dead. Man, you guys must have a like special. It. Special thing going on if you just travel to see each other and no one else in the middle of a quarantine. Oh, I don't. Oh, no, I, I don't I'm, travel though. I don't travel though. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a, he's more into you than you into him. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, Rian is a thought. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well this should be fun. But in the middle of all his boredom, of course, we're trying to find some normalcy, trying to still keep up with what is left of world football today, um, which isn't a lot. In the in the last couple of days since we last recorded, um, the, the Champions League games, all of the UEFA competitions have, have formally been suspended um, with no known date now. And pretty much the same for La Liga as well. Um, the, we really don't know when we're going to see football again. So this is kind of our gateway into looking back into some of the biggest matches that we've experienced in the last several years. And for the purpose of this pod, we're going to start off with the very, very well-known now Brazil-Belgium game from the 2018 World Cup. Rian, I remember where I was watching this game. Uh, this was the summer that I think all of us interned in New York. Um, but this, this game was really a turning point for Belgium um, in, in terms of their trajectory and their success. And very much a negative turning point for Brazil, uh, especially coming off the, the 2014 World Cup. So why don't we start off? Why don't you tell tell me who who was starting for Brazil and we can kick it off? Of course. Yeah. Well, before we start, I, I don't think it was like a negative, necessarily that negative turning point for the Brazilian team, especially when you consider how they went out of the World Cup four years before that. At least, <laughs> at least this was kind oh, of like this was pretty respectable. <laughs> this was pretty oh. respectable. No, it was it was definitely respectable, but and this team was just <laughs> way better than that 2014 team too. So no Dab Luis tears this time. <laughs> no Dab Luis starting on the team at all this time, really. So that that probably helped a lot. No captaining, no, no captaining besides. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's what cut down on five goals. Yeah, <laughs> right yeah, there so, alone. Yeah. So this, I mean, Brazil came into this World Cup. I think uh, weirdly, I feeling like they had a better chance to win this one than the. I, in hindsight, they have like Brazilian fans had to have thought this was team had a better chance to actually win the World Cup. But either way, they came into this game. Um, they finished with seven points in their group. 
uh, finishing first in a group with Switzerland, Costa Rica, and Serbia. And they drew to Serbia to Switzerland the first day, but then won against Costa Rica and and Serbia, and were able to get into the round of sixteen and easily handle the Mexican team, who. Um, yeah, they were in it, and then the other team in North America was unfortunately not there, but honestly really was, like, barely missed them, honestly. I mean, no one even knows the team anyway. But uh, <laughs> they were able to able to make it into this, into this game, and I don't really remember what the feeling was coming into this game in terms of who was favored. Was, I mean, I think most people just thought this was going to be really entertaining no matter what. But just looking, like I said, from the Brazilian lineup, just how much different this team is than the one in 2014. They had Allison starting a goal in 2014 that was like Julio Cesar's actual corpse in net, <laughs> like, trying trying to keep the ball out against like Miroslav Klose, who was also like, almost a corpse at that time too. But I distinctly remember him breaking the World Cup uh, goal scoring record in that game. Uh, then at fullback. Brazil had Marcelo and Faulkner in center backs. We had Thiago Silva, who actually missed that semifinal against Germany, where, you know, maybe that would have been like a 3-1 or 4-1 rather than 7 if he was playing. Uh, but this time, instead of being paired with the guy who is normally just holding his hand during these um, international matches, instead of being with Dava Luiz, he had Jean Miranda, who actually was coming off of Multiple good seasons at Atleti, as Ellis, I think, would um, would also agree with. But just right there, a much better center back <laughs> pairing than just anything that included like Dava Luiz and I think I think like Dante Dante from Bayern might have started that semifinal game too. Either way, the, in twenty fourteen, in twenty fourteen, yeah, I think he did, yeah, or at least he was on the field. I know that, yeah. Now the only midfielder that was starting that day in uh, against Germany that was also in the lineup here in terms of central midfield was Fernandinho. We have Fernandinho, Philippe Coutinho, and of course Paulinho, who like resurrected himself from China, going back to going to Barcelona. Uh, actually, Elias, talk a little bit about Bar- uh, Paulinho's time at Barcelona. Overall, like net, net, <laughs> your, your feelings went. The finesse, baby. <laughs> the finesse <laughs> of the century. Paulinho went and just got an absolute bag in in China and then somehow still made it back to Barcelona. Made it to Barcelona. At least you got to explain on this. Dude, our, our transfer strategy is absolute garbage. That's the only explanation. Like, I don't know why anyone would go out and buy a player that has just gone to China to to live out the days in what is essentially hospice care for soccer players. And so if you go there, you're probably not coming back to Europe and lo and behold, wrong. I was clearly wrong (laughs) because Bartomeu had different ideas and there was actually allegations around a whole money laundering scheme with people owning companies that uh, allegedly, 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 (laughs) allegedly, of course, um, but yeah, he came back to Barcelona. He didn't play too terribly uh, for the for the season that he was there, and then he also secured the bag. And then just how much did he play? Right how much did he play? 
he he played like half the games. Like he he played a semi decent amount. Honestly, it's not like he was on the bench. All right, more effective Barcelona player, Paulinho or Philippe Coutinho? Oh, that's actually. Oh my God, I have never thought. But I honestly might have to say Paulinho. <laughs> I might because I don't know okay, what so Coutinho. I would, really I would like did. to. I would like to say look at a. Coutinho from center defensive mid, nine goals in 35 games. Coutinho, 13 and 52 for Barcelona. Kind of embarrassing, is all I would say. I don't know. No, it was that. that I mean, so d- during this game, Peter did ask me at one point, did, do I ever think that uh, Philippe Coutinho was Barcelona quality? Which is very tough. It was just confusing to me. It was yeah. confusing because, like, he was, he was good at Liverpool, and, like, it was like I was impressed by him, but. I, I could honestly imagine had he stayed in the Liverpool side. Well, who knows? <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think they would have had a very different system going on because um, he's more of a 10. And they, don't, they don't really have a 10 right now. They don't play with one. So honestly, I have no idea what it looked like. All I know is that he's, he was played a position and did not live up to his transfer budget at Barcelona. Yeah. I mean, he was worth 100 million pounds. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I prefer to use the term 130 million euros just to make it uh, a little more inflated. Right, right, of course, of course. I mean, hindsight's 2020. But this is this is completely off the topic of Brazil, Belgium. No, <laughs> oh, no, this is right on topic. We're, we're, this is all just a trip down memory lane. <laughs> At least that's what this episode is, dude. So it feels more of a more like a roast of my team, but all right, if you want to call it that, we can talk about the roast of your team in a little bit. No, no, I, we can. We'll go on to the attackers, of course. Um, up front, we have, all, we have the always rumored Barcelona signing um, Julian. Just every year, every year, it's just. Oh, I thought you were going to say Neymar, but that's hilarious. Number ten, Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's impossible now. We don't, we don't even know. It's possible. I mean, I mean, he might be too good for Barcelona at this point once he took the number ten from from Hazard. I think. Like, the, yeah, the last number ten of Chelsea went to play for Real Madrid. Rian, Real Madrid. <laughs> I refuse to have this conversation any longer. Of <laughs> course, <laughs> all right, this all right. Well, for, for the rest, the rest of the men up top, of course, like I said, um, another uh, someone who's always linked to Barcelona because he was actually there for a while. Uh, Neymar, Gabriel Jesus. <laughs> oh, who knows? But like, but Neymar. Yeah, he was fantastic during this World Cup. He actually was very good. Was, like, this was nice to see. Do you him. actually think that? Like, do you think that he had a, like a standout performance? Because I would, I would argue that it was very average. The, the knock. I thought the group stage. He was good. Yes, I thought the group stage. He was very good. I mean, we'll have. Yeah. Uh, I have my thoughts on how I thought he played in this game, of course. But like, um, <laughs> but no, I I, th- I thought he was good overall. It was obviously. We got pretty much we got robbed of seeing what we thought would be like the a real like breakout not breakout but like really like top 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 kind of performance in a in an even bigger game obviously when he wasn't able to finish the rest of the 2014 World Cup when he got his like back completely fucked up in that I think it was against <laughs> Colombia yeah 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 uh, so we got kind of robbed of seeing him in the semifinal of that. So, but it was, so it was nice to like see him on an international stage against 
like think about it. This Belgium team that they played was better than pretty much every team that he played that uh, Neymar played against in the 2014 World Cup outside of Germany. Like this Belgium team was so much better than like that like Colombian team they played that was pretty much just James and basically got him a move to Real Madrid during that World Cup, and then. I remember. Oh, then they almost lost to Chile, and they had to go to penalty kicks against Chile, um, like before that. So this Belgian team was much, much better than that. But overall, like I said, much, much better starting lineup than the one you saw in 2014. And like this team actually did have a. I thought at least had a shot to beat France. So I don't think they were at a better time than Belgium did, who only lost to France one 0 in the semis, but. I mean, I, I kind of agree with you. Like, I, my pick to win the World Cup was Brazil originally. Um, and so I was kind of surprised. I wasn't necessarily surprised that they lost to Belgium. I expected there to be a lot of trouble from, from the, the Belgian side. But I didn't necessarily expect them to lose. So, this, I mean, this game, which is kind of why I was saying this was a turning point, um, kind of encapsulated a lot of different things for each respective national side as a whole, right? The fact that Brazil couldn't get past a very good side in Belgium, but at the same time, Belgium being able to step up against one of the big boys, one of the favorites in the tournament as a whole. And also, I feel like uh, kind of like building off of that and looking at the game, I think we mentioned before, the game they played right going into this game was also somewhat of a turning point. I don't know if you'd say that was the beginning of it. Like you said, that Belgium they beat Japan three to two. And like, I was looking a little bit at the recap of this game as well. And like one thing that I know that people mentioned a lot about Belgium before is that they were much of like a, like a dark horse team. And I guess the best reason, the main reason people said that is because of how young that team was. And like, if you look at the game before, they were down what, like two nil to Japan, which is kind of random. I'm not saying that you expect Japan to beat that Belgium side. Like all things considered, you would assume Belgium would be the team to win that game. But I think that takes a lot to go from being 2-0 down, especially in a major tournament like this, from like when in prior tournaments, the main excuse that you've seen is like a lot of these players are very, very young. But like you have Hazard, like what, like 27, 28, or like what, 29 now, 28 at the time. You have De Bruyne, who's 27. You have an aged company. Like you have a, a more mature team. So I think it's kind of like interesting and unique to see this side coming of age and like being one of the main forces in the tournament. So. Well, I do hear you saying that Brazil was one of your favorites. I feel like going into it, for me at least, Belgium was actually one of mine personally as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I always kind of felt bullish about the about Belgium post like 2014 because like even that 2014 team, they made it to the made it to the final eight, right? I can't quite remember who they end up. I think they end up losing to France. If I, I don't quite remember, but but um. Ever since then, it was like their players were all going to be hitting their or their goal. Their we'll get onto like their quote unquote golden generation were all kind of maturing at the same time, and it just kind of culminates around like basically like this World Cup and you know, obviously at the Euros this summer too. They would have been massive, massive favorites, but like these this World Cup and then these couple years, I guess like the twenty basically the 2018, 2018 to twenty eighteen and like twenty twenty two. This is like their window to win a major competition. To win a trophy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Yeah. With that, Ellis, you want to, you want to run us through the lineup? Yeah. Let's talk about, I mean, this Belgium side, 
if you pick out the individual players on the field and kind of do a side-by-side comparison uh, with the Brazil lineup, I'm sure that you'll find it's actually much more difficult to pick out who's the better individual player in each position. So we'll start in the back with Thibaut, Thibaut Courtois, before, of course, he moved to Real Madrid. Um, seems like a lot of people got Real Madrid moves after World Cups. So I'm not, I'm not drawing correlation. I'm just <laughs> stating an obvious fact. Um, but Thibaut Courtois, of course, starting in goal. Um, and in my opinion, had a not only great game, but a great tournament and saved Belgium at the very end with, with Neymar's shot. So um, Courtois yeah, in goal. Totally yeah. Yeah. Um, what was interesting, I think, about this lineup is that you had we'll get to the midfield of Belgium, but actually, yeah, I'll save it. All the wild company, Vertonghen and Mounier as your back line, which for me, based on what Belgium had seemed pretty standard. Um, nothing was really surprising there, but what was surprising before the game, when we saw Roberto Martinez release his lineup was that Axel Witzel and, um, Fulhaney were both starting. Um, and Chadley, had been starting previously. So that wasn't necessarily a surprise, Um, but it was a surprise to see two players who had not seen that much playing time and that not that much playing time, time alongside each other either um, get the start. So that raised, I know a lot of eyebrows and myself included uh, before the game and trying to understand what, you know, Belgium was trying to accomplish, but Hey, hindsight's completely 2020 here. Um, but we'll wrap up with the front line of De Bruyne, Hazard, and Lukaku. Very, like three players that in this tournament just went off. Like had incredible, incredible tournaments individually and collectively. Yeah, I think it's like a couple, couple interesting things to note from their their lineup. First, just I guess just starting up top. When you watch this game, like Lukaku's playing basically on the right wing, right? Like De Bruyne is playing pretty much through the center and Hazard's on the left wing. And like, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more when we get into like what actually happened in the game. But that, that was interesting because they even, I know on the, um, at least the link that me and Peter are watching it on, they like mention it that it's the first time they could remember Lukaku playing on like that right wing since he was at Everton with Roberto Martinez um, so that was like, so that same to me, like I don't see him playing on that side that much. And it was interesting that he chose to play Lukaku there for this certain game. Also just wanna, I, go on, Peter. Well, I, I was honestly going to say like, like off that Lukaku point, which I didn't even really put it together until just now. But yeah, the, the fact that like, I was going to say it and you, you kind of just took the words just out of my mouth, but like, this is uh, like the best. Or like rewatching that game and like kind of t- taking it out of context now and having him seen, seen him play for United over like the past year and a half before it moved into like that was the best game I'd seen him play since like his Everton days and like it didn't really connect to me for until like you just said it the fact that it was the same manager it was probably a little bit of like hey like we got to bring that that former like player that he was that we knew he could be out of him like we we make fun of him having a touch of an elephant and we'll get a little into a little bit more detail but his build up on uh, the I can't remember if it was the first or second goal of the game. Like it was, it was, it was fantastic play. I think it was fun to watch him play that game. Kind of reminded you like what made him a big name striker in the first place. Yeah. Like, yeah, this game, like especially the first half, like was 
pretty much what we kind of thought Lukaku was going to be, especially you know early days at Chelsea, <laughs> especially early days at Chelsea. Like this is like the, yeah, this was like this was like comparison uh, to Drogba. Yeah, comparison to Drogba, but like especially on that on that goal that on that goal that you're talking about, like just like he's. I think we talked about this, right? Like we, Peter, like like. Obviously, we both say Drago was an overall better player, but Lukaku's like almost definitely <laughs> stronger, stronger, almost definitely oh, str- yeah, yeah, stronger, yeah, yeah. a stronger play. Like just his strength in this game, I thought was really like on display. Just how strength and surprising like, speed for somebody so yeah. big, you just don't think he's gonna move so fast. Yeah, when he like, picks up speed. In the past times when we've seen him, what we've seen him let him down, and like it's very hit or miss because I've seen like one or two plays with him and Inter as well, where I was like, this can't be the same Lukaku, but like he doesn't always have a terrible touch, and like when it doesn't let him down, you can see that he can actually do some pretty impressive things. Well, yeah, it's it's kind of like a backhanded compliment to say that like he looks really <laughs> good in a lot of space. <laughs> like, you, like, like, like he looks best when you just put him in a lot of space and he just has like one guy to try to get past and and, and all he's got to do is pretty much try to like muscle or outrun him or something like that. Correct. He can play a decent ball. And give him ten seconds and ten yards. <laughs> <laughs> if only everyone had that kind of time. <laughs> of course, of course. And then just well, one I mean, one last thing I want to say about like the midfield is that here again you have two. You have uh, in Axel Witzel, someone who went to China, got the bag, came back, and started and play for, and is now like starting every game for Dortmund. Like is is like yeah. What like what is this Dortmund trend? Team. Yeah, and and then Fellaini. Fellaini is now in China, so like it's, it's amazing. <laughs> That's confusing. Vitzel, Vitzel did not make sense to me mainly because, and I'm not trying to go too far off tangent, especially because I don't even think he was in the squad this game. But like another player that did that was was Oscar. I mentioned this to Rion before. Like I totally, totally, totally get looking out for yourself and being like, look, I'm, I'm towards the end of my career. I'm trying to catch a bag for two or three years before I retire. Like yeah, and more power to you. But like a player like Vincent, what was he like 20, 28, 27 when he went? Like it just it, it was too. Early. He's only thirty one now. I feel like it was just too early. It made no sense at all. But I mean, good for him, man. Like the fact that he was still able to resurrect that career is impressive. Yeah, I remember it being a shock when he went because he went from like Zenit from TV Russia, who he was probably already getting like just dumb money for to playing there and then went yeah. on to another country. I remember being like shocked by it because it was just like he would always be linked with. Like some, like some of the best teams. So it's like, especially like, I feel like he was always he linked United for a while. To, to, I was going to say Premier League teams. Like he seemed like he was always linked to the teams in England. Yeah, it definitely was. Sense. Yeah, but it, it, I mean, overall, like just starting that midfield of <laughs> Witzel and Fellaini, I, it, it, you would never expect. Actually, I guess you would get this out of Witzel, not Fellaini at all. Um, like this to be a, a counter-attacking team um, initially. Like, that was my impression. And when you got into the game, pretty much all of Belgium's chances, with the exception of the first goal, um, came from counterattacks. But they were all they were all counterattacks that like created very decent chances. And I know the... I think the expected goals for this was like 3 to 1 or th- slightly lower than 1 in favor of Brazil. But... The chances that Belgium had, like for me, like were much better than Brazil's chances. 
Yeah, definitely. I think that's a might be a good segue for us to get into what what actually happened during this game. Right. Uh, I guess leading up, let's start with like leading up to that first goal. Like totally right. Like the first goal, first goal does come from the corner. Does actually effectively come from the corner. It's, a, it's an own goal from Fernandinho. But if if you get another chance to see like even like ten or fifteen seconds before the corner, it comes from like a Belgian counter attack. And then eventually that leads to a corner. So I know I totally with you on like they looked throughout this game, all of the most dangerous times that Brazil or not Brazil, sorry, Belgium seemed like they could score was they looked their best on counters. And that was absolutely by design. Well, the thing, the thing that's interesting about that too, um, like to add to the context is the chance that Brazil had right before the goal too, right? Like there was a huge momentum swing for Belgium to capitalize on um, right after they scored their goal, right? So Thiago Silva hits the post and you kind of get the sense that Brazil is knocking on the door early. And then all of a sudden, right? One corner changed the entire course of the first half, right? If If that corner doesn't go in, I'm not so convinced that Belgium are able to keep up the pace for the first half because it was a completely like two different halves, right? Belgium dominated the first half in terms of chances and in terms of goals, obviously. And then Brazil turned it around. But if you don't have that momentum switch in what, like the 12th, 13th minute, whenever the goal went in um, of Fernandinho, I think Belgium are on the back foot for a most, a better part of that first half. Yeah. That was one of the things that um, I think, I for that I just forgot about this game is that I don't know if you guys agree, but yeah, leading up to that first goal, at least leading up to the first goal, it seemed pretty even at best for Belgium, right? And and I thought Brazil yeah, was really Brazil was in the game. A little bit of the edge, I think Brazil because it was like I, the same play uh, I was I just had it up a few, a few seconds ago that Elise was talking about was it was like a Brazil corner, like it was, it was the eighth or ninth minute. And I feel like the solid, like first, like five or six was primarily like Brazil attacks. That's like a matter of inches. Where it's the same thing. You have like Thiago Silva, like screeching across the box unmarked and hits the post. Two seconds later, you have uh, Vincent company doing the same thing and like distracting Fernandinho for an own goal. I think that like Belgium was very fortunate to make it out of that first 10 and had the game swung the other way. I think, you could have very easily, at least the way it was going at the time, been looking like Brazil, like two or three nil by the end of the first half. I think they just didn't react well to that first goal, if anything. Yeah, no, no, totally agree. Totally agree there. So then I guess that's leading us to, to the next goal, second goal, which, you know, I, if you could say, yeah, uh, a little lucky on the first one, and the game was very even, and I still thought, even leading to the second goal, it still seemed very even because, you know, I, Definitely, Belgium was getting a few more counterattacks after that first goal goes in because, na- like, naturally, Brazil maybe pushes a little more. But it still felt like Brazil very in the game, very much just very much like, still, you know, pushing at it to try to score. And then this second goal from Belgium, which comes, I, I can't remember if it was quite a freak, if it was quite a corner or if it was the free a free kick that was just very close to the corner, but again, it came from Brazil deep Counter in attack. Belgium. Yeah. Deep in Belgium's half. And then Lukaku is able to pick it up maybe like 20 or so yards into his own half. 
and you know is running through the middle and no one really picks him up until Paulinho and Fernandinho both try to pick him up and uh, like, if you guys remember this at all there there is a chance where Fernandinho if he wanted to he could just take it out Lukaku which obviously easier said than done but like but, <laughs> yeah like, that's what I was gonna say you don't just yeah, yeah. He keep both of his legs he's trying to make it through the game <laughs> yeah, easier said than done obviously it's, it was just it's just because like you've seen him like in in the Premier League you've seen him make you've seen Fernandinho make that tackle a lot for Manchester City that like quote unquote tactical yeah fashion, which just absolutely yeah like I, I was just like the second time watching it it's I, I I thought again. I was just like, "Yeah, I, I'm surprised that he didn't try to just completely, just completely take out Lukaku." But uh, like I said, easy, much easier said than done. But yeah, all all the stuff, all the work that Lukaku does on that, amazing. And then, I mean, De Bruyne just like that. That's a goal that deserve that. Like, yeah, sorry. At that point, when he scores that, it's like, okay, yeah, they probably deserve to be ahead because that's just like. That's the most quality we've seen. We had seen in the game th- up to that point. See, but so, that's I mean, like that vintage Kevin De Bruyne, dude. Yeah, that is a vintage Kevin De Bruyne goal. We've seen him do it time and time again. He like this was, I think, like him. I can't. I honestly, maybe I shouldn't say this because I like I should think a little bit more about the season preceding it. But like this, him, this tournament was like showing and like putting himself on a world platform as like I am one of the world's best attacking midfielders, and like today probably the best attacking midfielder in the world. It was it, it, it was it's what he does. Like he he has so much power and pace behind both shot, like both feet. He can do that with either foot and make it look simple. It's it's absurd. So I mean, like to add on to that too. This for me was the second best goal of the tournament behind Pavard's goal against Argentina. Oh like my God. this Pavard goal, was, yeah, Pavard's goal was ridiculous. But also in that same game, Di Maria's goal. Di Maria's was also really nice. That game was. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, um, the I World Cup final. Pavard's goal in the middle of the office. Like it was like two p.m. I was like, damn, I should I should shut up. But it was it was crazy. <laughs> that shit was so nice. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Pavard's was. The Pavard just took so much technique, like stupid technique. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was just beautiful. No, yeah, I'm not hurting after that one for sure. Now rub it in while you don't really. <laughs> for sure. Anyway, but yeah, um, Pavard's goal and this goal for me were the two best goals of the tournament, uh, it, along with Di Maria's goal, of course. Um, but because of just how sweetly, like, Kevin De Bruyne struck this ball, like, th- there was no movement at all. Like, if you look at the angle from behind where he shot it, it didn't move. It just went straight to that corner. Like, he he knew exactly how to hit it. And that's so hard to come by. Like it is, there is something like really, really nice. It's beautiful. Yeah, about the way it's the ball. I agree completely. It is beautiful, and he does it like he makes it look easy over and over. Like he's such and, a body player. Yeah, it's just so I was gonna say so casual. So like this, this shot is so casual because he picks it up what, like twenty, twenty, like between twenty and like maybe twenty five yards out. But he's also on like such an angle from the goal where it's like. Even attempt the shot one takes massive fucking balls, and then he he just he like almost doesn't even think about it. I can't remember if he took. I think he takes one touch and then just immediately hits it. Like he was never thinking about about like playing the ball back to play, playing the ball to anyone else. But it's, okay, so also I'm truly truly sorry to interrupt. Uh, I was just rewatching Pavard's goal. 
like a goal that you store like in training, like you know, like during practice, and you like tell your friends about for like years. Like it's not something you should score at like a World Cup match. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah again please it's not like i have wounds from that game but like for sure yeah like if you want to keep talking about it we can totally do that for the for those out there who might be wondering who might be wondering why elias is is a little sore about that game elias as any messy fanboy is is also a partially an argentina fan and so it's been tough for him watching messi come up come up Yeah, it's it's been tough on the international scene, and this is it's been tough yeah, for that's him not to helping. Watch. Quiet, so, it's not tough. It's quiet. <laughs> it's been tough <laughs> for him to watch as uh, final after final, his god comes up very very short in the most important games of Whoa, his life. Oh, very short. What was the um, last time your any of your team members were in a World Cup final? All right. Let's Ngolo relax. Uh, Angola Conte, uh, a little, a little man, yeah, <laughs> a little a guy who didn't even need a shot on target for his team to win the World Cup. So, yeah, oh, easy. Yeah. Oh, right. if you got, easy. got it. I should, I should just absolutely leave the podcast right now. All after right, that one. all right. <laughs> I know, I know. It's even tougher to watch to watch the guy that he's always um always compared to go out and you know in european championship are you are you done like is this is this roast part of the podcast done and then the illustrious nations league of course oh my god uh, i'm really i'm sorry whatever we're, we're gonna move on to the second half can we do that can we talk about the second half of this game of, of course of course all right second <laughs> half second half Jeez. another thing another thing that i forgot about this game is that I might have missed it, but did they somehow sneak English refs into this game at some point? Did they sneak the English refs into the VAR booth here? Because, <laughs> <laughs> because I knew it. Oh, I yeah. I knew this was going to come up. I just I, I honestly forgot this happened. <laughs> at what point did Mike Dean take over <laughs> take over the VAR in this in this World Cup? Has, um, actually, uh, preferably, probably right after the 45 minute whistle went. I mean, okay, so this is, and again, I believe it's like 58th minute, 58th, between the 55th and, it's, and it's 60th early, it's minute. Like Correct. Yeah. Game, right. It's two nothing. But again, Brazil, very much still in this game. And we have, <laughs> we have a, an incident in the box. Um, Gabriel Jesus, I forget who he touches it past. I, I, he touches it past one of the, um, he sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. I, I forgot. It was all the same. Play. <laughs> yeah. It was all the same. Play. So yeah. So we got robbed of, of seeing that Meg over and over one, but, but he makes Vertonghen and coming up next is, is uh Vincent company coming in to actually slide tackle the ball away from him, except he actually never gets the ball and just genuinely takes out Gabriel Jesus. And while it is stopped for a second, because they are checking it on the VAR, we get a stoppage for like, I mean, it must've been at least a minute and a half. I, I don't know. I don't know if you guys remember how long it might've felt, but it was at least like, it felt like at least a minute and a half, two minutes that they're looking at it. And and the funny thing is too, like you can you see, 
in the uh, at least the view that we were watching because we were watching like the B- a BBC replay of it, and you can see like in the bottom right hand corner a little box that shows the actual referees, and they're looking at what I, I assume we we don't even know if they're looking at the same replays as us because one of the BBC commentators literally asked that after this because he's like just so perplexed that they didn't call it foul. He's like they should be seeing the same replays that we are, but. You can see them looking at it and you see them kind of arguing about it and like just, but it's amazing. I, I think like during this, Peter had some great reactions to of just how it kind made, of, just, just how disappointed. It made no like, sense. It's just like, <laughs> what is the point of having it at this point? Like there's been a few times now and like, I get that it's going to take some time and then it's the people that we put behind it or whatever that are like actually reviewing the place and they have to get it right. It's like fundamentally it is still down to us, but this is like a clear cut penalty, man. Like, I don't understand. Like, it makes, like, what are you looking at? Like, I understand what the counselor is saying. They can't be seeing the same replay because there's just no, there was, there was at no point should that have been like, Oh yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Like, I don't think he got any of the ball at all. He just didn't. It was absurd. It was just truly an absurd call. Elias, our, our chief, our chief, our chief uh, VAR uh, apologist. What were your thoughts on that? <laughs> uh, first off, I love that name. So let's keep that going. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, I can't agree more. It was obviously a clear cut penalty. I think the more the more interesting part was how VAR was used because I think this started a discussion around um, the, the validity of it. Right. Maybe not started it, but it enhanced that conversation for sure. Because from there it kind of spiraled, especially in, in England. But the way that it was used, you kind of talked about it with, with all of them disagreeing and, and not really looking at the say, correct or same images kind of led people to think, you know, what actually is the process behind using VAR? Because the concept, like we've talked about so many times, makes sense on paper. But if you're not implementing it properly, then it's not going to change a thing. And I think this was the perfect example of <laughs> if you wanted to make the argument against VAR, uh, this is this was your exact chance. Now, obviously, it's a little different today with rules being changed, et cetera. But that moment was was big for VAR. And I mean, I agree with <laughs> with most people that it was obviously a penalty. And I even more so agree that VAR was used terribly there. Uh, also, I, I just want to say something. I remember the reason I was so upset at the time is because while company does try and pull out, he doesn't in time. But it's like it's two feet and studs up from the top foot. It's just there's just he doesn't touch the ball at all. Like it's just clearly a penalty. It, it doesn't make sense. I, I don't there would have been a discussion. I, there would have been a discussion. Like, is that right? <laughs> because like how high his legs were too. Yeah, it's just it was absurd. Just kind of crazy. I mean, ultimately. Like what? What happens if a a penalty is called and b and or b company is sent off? Right. What What do you think happens from there? I mean, I, I wouldn't have. Yeah, asked, yeah. I wouldn't have. Asked. <laughs> Great answer. Great answer. No clue. Uh, no comment, actually. But uh, <laughs> no, like I, I mean, I wouldn't have advocated for company to get sent off. It's just, I mean, I think they would have discussed it, but I don't think they would have sent them off. But the thing that makes it just unacceptable is the fact we're, this is like this is like the World Cup fucking quarterfinal. There's only eight fucking teams left. This is not we can't have like we can't have this fuck up, this magnitude of a fuck up in a game that 
Yeah, Belgium are up 2-0, but like if for anyone who's watching the game up until that point, you wouldn't have felt like Belgium were winning by that much. And if you're talking about changing the game, you're talking about half an hour where Brazil would have had a chance to equalize in this game. And especially after seeing the last like 15 minutes when they, when they could have equalized multiple times, like it, I think it changes the entire game. And it, it ultimately maybe it, cha- it maybe it changes like how this Belgian team is, is looked at going forward. But like, that, like, that moment is something that weirdly is not talked about very much about this, like in, in recaps of this game. And I don't remember it being talked about that much after that game and like post game stuff either. Like just what, around the VAR forward. call. Yeah. I don't, I, yeah, maybe, and maybe it's just they also didn't far. give, they didn't, they didn't give Jesus a yellow either. They didn't say it was a dive. So like, if you look at it, there's no con- ball contact at all. And That's true. Like, it's, yeah. either, it's either a dive or like a or, or penalty. Like you didn't say it was a dive, so I don't understand like what the call was because <laughs> he didn't touch the ball. Completely, completely unacceptable. But you know, the game goes on, uh, and as the game goes on, Belgium sit deeper and deeper, and are like more just relying on playing the ball up to Lukaku and Hazard and. Lukaku and Hazard, obviously, I think, were pretty instrumental outside of obvious the obvious stuff that they did attacking-wise, but also in, like, the last 20 or so minutes of just getting the ball, especially Hazard, like, getting the ball and just getting fouled or something, like, or just getting past a couple of players and just advancing the ball forward. Like, those guys I thought were really, really important just for them to relieve some pressure at times because they were, they were really deep. In the in like in the last like twenty minutes of that game, they were kind of just holding yeah. on. Yeah, but I think that is something that I was very good at is just dribbling and holding the ball up. So, like, just very much his time to shine. And like Lukaku, as we mentioned before, is just pure strength. Like, <laughs> give him the ball, he'll be able to hold that shit up for a little bit. I mean, they all three of them, right? De Bruyne, Hazard and Lukaku did each one of their respective roles like to the utmost of their ability in that game. And I think that's why their counterattack works so well, right? You had strength in Lukaku, you had dribbling pace and width in Hazard, and you had creative flair in De Bruyne, right? All three of that's so important, and, and they accomplished what they needed to do with their individual skill sets like really, really well. And I think that's hard to come by when like all three individual attackers are just on another level, right? Like the, I got, and I'm not saying this is a comparison. I'm just saying like, I got very much like Messi Suarez, Neymar vibes from that entire game when everyone, like all three of them weren't just gelling and it was free flowing, like counterattacking football. And you don't get to see that that often when all three of them are just on another level. And I would say that like in the grand scheme of like all of this, the only thing that hurts is that they all could have played for Chelsea. <laughs> well, they they all did, uh, but yeah, I think they were technically uh, all on the team at, at at some point at the same time. I think they all were. So, but I mean, you know, it's whatever. You live and you learn. Wow, that must actually. I, really I was saying it at the time, but like you know, it's whatever. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely doesn't hurt anymore. Of course not. Of course not. The prospect of, of having uh, Kevin De Bruyne and Hazard on the same team would be sick, dude. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine if one team had those two? <laughs> Can you imagine if one team had those two players in like uh, 2013 on the same team for like six months and then decided to sell one of them? <laughs> for no reason, <laughs> for almost no reason at all. Mostly because like a he, pretty solid season on loan, and he came back and got like two caps. But like it's yeah. whatever. Yeah, it's whatever. I mean, it's yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, can, can he run back and help defend? No. So is he good? Probably not. <laughs> Whoa! You guys really have it out for Mario all of a sudden again, just going wildly off. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Almost single handedly just 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 jeopardizes the future of everything. Came in yeah, sold so many good players <laughs> and then left. Like, bro, what are you doing? Oh, uh, God damn it. Um so for, for for context, I think everyone knows that you both are very big Chelsea fans, as you provide context for my concerns with Peter's Pavard comments, asshole. Yeah. But yeah, that's to each their own, I guess. But uh <laughs> I mean, well, one, for this one game, less, yeah. One one thing. One thing before we get, to, I guess, to um, Brazil's goal, which they they do finally do score a goal. Like I, I do. You, I do you know who was subbed off too? Do you know who was subbed uh, off right uh, before that uh, goal? Paulinho, Paulinho, of course. <laughs> yeah, correlation. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a couple a couple of things actually. I guess before that Brazil goal, one with one on Belgium and then one on Brazil. With Belgium, like one of the things I also noticed in this game, just how in terms of how they like counterattacked, there was definitely a concerted effort to like every time they were countering for like Lukaku, especially Lukaku, but Lukaku and Hazard to get really, really wide on it. Like it's like especially like you see it on the on the uh, second goal, um, like for sure. Like not just Lukaku, but any of those guys to get very wide on these counterattacks is. When you look at it, especially on Lukaku's side, think about the guys in Brazil that that are defending on the left side. It's a line of Neymar, then Coutinho, then Marcelo. So, like, what are the odds that Lukaku's going to find himself in a lot of fucking space <laughs> on that on that <laughs> side of the field? Like, whenever you get the ball, like, and I guess that's exactly what you saw in, in those um, two like counterattacks leading up to the to the two Belgian goals. But same thing on on the uh, on second goal, like De Bruyne is super out wide to the right um, as Lukaku is just running through the middle of the field. And I mean, that, that was, I think you got to give a lot of credit to Martinez for sure. Who, yeah. It was definitely and, like not the highest reputation coming into the tournament. For I was sure. Watching the, like, similarly, as you're saying, I was watching a lot of these highlights. I'm like, you can even see like on plays where you have like Lukaku running to the middle, you see him pointing out wide and having Hazard and Bruyne play it wide and like drag another center back out wide because Marcelo's never defending. Like it's it's impressive. You can see that it was definitely communicated aggressively ahead of time to exploit them on the backs, on the on the sides. Yeah, that was I mean like the the key tactic in this game, right? The wide play on the counterattack. You stretch the entire back line and it almost doesn't matter who's through the middle because you can bully them with strength or you can have a Kevin De Bruyne goal type situation where you have enough space to take a good shot. And if Hazard was in the same position, honestly, I think he would have done the same thing and scored or at least gotten a very good shot on target. Right. Yeah. I mean, 
know, that this, the Brazilian, the other, oh, sorry, the other thing that I wanted to get to before the Brazil Bowl is that at, at halftime, Peter and I talked about this a little bit at the, when we were watching the game, he, uh, Tite brings on, um, oh my gosh, who did he bring on? It was uh, Firmino, because unbelievably, you look into this now, I mean, obviously, maybe you look now and you're like, why the hell would you not start Bobby Firmino over Jesus, who doesn't even start at Manchester City, but it's still, it just, it, I don't remember how I felt in the moment during that game, but now looking back, it's like, why the hell is he not starting? Like, who else would be great to, like, do this link-up play with Neymar and, like, William slash, like, Douglas Costa? Like, who would be better at, at supplying wingers than than Firmino? But... Great at the play. Yeah, like, at halftime, he brings on Firmino, but keeps Jesus on the field and puts him at right wing <laughs> For because I, I have no clue. Like I, I actually, that's the one thing. I actually, I really don't understand. Like Elias, did you did you have any thoughts on that? Like that's the thing I come away from in terms of the Brazilian side. Where I'm like, why? What was what was the point of keeping Jesus on after you bring on Firmino if you're not playing just straight two strikers up top? Like Jesus was definitely playing right wing. No, he he was, and I was just as confused. I, I guess the only difference that I can I can say is the one reason I think you would keep Jesus around is for his pace on the wings. Um, because quite frankly, I think he could tear Alderweireld or Mounier apart um, for, for pace on the wings. Um, and it, that allows a player like either Coutinho or Neymar to play more centrally um, and gives them a little more space to get a shot away. Other than that, uh, it, like systemically it doesn't make sense because you have two of the same profile players one of which is always going to be playing out of position. So yeah, that part of things didn't make sense for me. But I guess it's like the the only other argument against them is like William already offers that. That's what William is pretty quick despite right. his age. And like maybe you can say that he wasn't doing that well enough in the first half. But then like Douglas Costa was also on the bench. Yeah, so it's kind of confusing as to why, like that, like why make that change of all things. Like it, it, it was, it just didn't make sense. I don't know. Like I, I agreed with Rion. Like either bring Douglas Costa on there, or, or like I don't know. Like we like like William on. Sense, I don't like think Gabriel Jesus will do better than William in that role, just given that Gabriel Jesus doesn't actually play that position. Yeah, I think Douglas Costa makes much more of a sense for a swap for for the exact reasons you said. He's it's pretty much like a fresh like for like replacement. And you don't have to take someone entirely out of position. That would have been what I would have done. Yeah, and, and Douglas Costa eventually say, comes on. Yeah, and the, the only other thing I will say that I noticed that uh, apparently, like leading up to that game, Douglas Costa had only played like forty-five minutes throughout the tournament total. I think he was—he had a hamstring injury or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my big thing was just like we—you kind of saw as the game went on that like. Belgium was really packing the middle of the field, like whenever, whenever Brazil were in their like final third, and so having Jesus and Firmino on two guys who are naturally central players, like that, did not help create. That did not help like, guys like Neymar or Coutinho at all. They all want to be like in that middle of the. Field, so, well, well, there's not much we can do about Brazil's lineup, unfortunately. But the one thing they they did, do end up scoring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they ended up scoring towards Augusto. the yeah towards the end of the game. Um, and the almost last scoring. fifteen, almost scoring at the end. Yeah, with the Neymar chance. 
Is that what you're going to say? Well, multiple chances. The Coutinho one, I think, is even worse, honestly. Well, yeah. That, so the last 15 minutes of this game were wild, right? It was all Brazil for all 15 minutes. And they should have, in theory, tied the game at some point. But they didn't, obviously. And they went out. So who's to, like, who's to blame for that? I I would put more blame on the coach because I do feel like they could like they could have scored a couple times in that in the last like I said ten minutes or so. So and you can harp on like the players not finishing the chances, which hundred percent, yeah. But it's just I felt like they they got unlucky with the first goal coming kind of against the run of play. They could have definitely changed it in the second half if I think if he if like he doesn't do that weird thing with Jay Zeus being like on the right wing. It just it just completely took away an attacking option on that side. And then I will also say a potentially hot take that I don't know if I've voiced before, but I've definitely felt it for a minute. I think that like one interesting thing that I think else you, you touched on a little bit was like they seem to kind of like be lacking a uh like clinical finisher and not that like Neymar can't do that, but like now, now like number nine, that's like a striker that just loves to like, like it does nothing, but put, put the ball in the back of the net. And like one thing that I think that would have been awesome to see had he not uh, declared to play for Spain was uh, Diego Costa playing for Brazil. I think that would have been like, would have been the one thing that this Brazil, Brazil team is missing. I think it would have been like very fun to have seen him here, both like the, like, Copa America and the World Cup, just in general. I think that seeing him play with Neymar, William, Douglas Costa, and like give you like a similar options for me, knowing that he's good with hold up play, but that he also scores a decent amount, like would have been kind of interesting seeing the Brazil side. Yeah, that's a really especially, good point, actually. Yeah, especially in this game against these two, these center backs, too, right? Like Company and Aldo Wild. Not, not that Jesus isn't capable because he plays in Premier League and, and obviously plays against pretty like physical center backs as is and stuff. Right. But he, he, he wouldn't offer the same kind of hold up play as like a Diego Costa. Right. So it, it especially in this game, I, it, it would have been very cool to watch him play with these players because I, I think he would have been a pretty seamless fit for them. Yeah. And in that 2014 world cup, I think they both times, like, oh, I think yeah. I can't remember. Was it like Fred? I, it can't Fred. Remember it I mean, they, like, it was just, yeah. it was a black hole. It was a black hole. It didn't make sense. Like, it was like the one, like, I, I remember him playing for Spain. And then I was like, wow, dude, like what, you, who did you have to go against? Like, what would you, what were you worried about? I don't know. Yeah. It was a really good Brazil side. The, the one thing they seemed to be missing was a good striker. So it was kind of interesting to me. I think they would have thrived with uh, having someone like Diego Costa on the field. Like, I think if he got services the way he could from Neymar, Coutinho, and Willian, like, that's much better than he would be getting over in Spain. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that having an out-and-out number nine would have helped them a lot. Um, but not just with the goals, it's just about creating the different spaces for their more creative players like you you need to give Neymar some space he can he can do a lot but he can't do every single thing right no player can do that but yeah yeah but he I mean the thing is he was still able to get away that chance at the end and create a couple chances in this game so 
I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, this is goes back to your earlier point, Rian, about when I was saying, like, I don't know if Neymar had that good of a tournament. Like I, had, I think he had a good tournament, but it wasn't like spectacular. Like it wasn't like, Oh, much better standout performance. Like it, maybe this conversation changes if he scores that goal and Courtois doesn't save it. But I don't know. I, I feel like yeah, he the, didn't reach. He, did, he didn't reach like that kind of like mystical, like almost. He was kind of almost like a like a demigod, like for twenty in twenty fourteen because it was like because <laughs> it was in Brazil. Obviously that helps too. But like you're right. He he didn't necessarily reach that same. I think kind of awe, like level of awe in this game in this World Cup compared to like twenty fourteen. Even though he's yeah, a better and, player, even though he's a better player in twenty eighteen than he than he was. Oh, I thought you were going to say then Hazard, but you know, whatever. No, we'll get to that. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes, yeah, I think that that's one of the reasons why Brazil ended up going out is because their star player like that didn't step up. I, I, I will say Coutinho had a great game, probably even better than Neymar this entire game um, because of the chances that he created almost solely because of that. It, it felt like a large part of that first half was Neymar kind of not, I don't want to say waltzing around and like, not doing much like he did a little bit, but his contribution was elevated much more in the second half. And I think the first half was, was wasted partially. And so I I think it was like, it was too little too late for Brazil by the time uh, the 75th or so minute came around. Yeah. It it came that, that, and that goal you have to get, I mean, it's a really great, I mean, two great, Components of that, obviously, is the pass from Coutinho, which I obviously great pass, but I definitely remember like two minutes before that goal, he tries that exact same pass. Like he's been trying that pass for like most of the game. That's that's the thing. Like he'd been trying that like exact pass at least two or three other times in the game, and and I guess so they were just waiting for someone who actually makes actually make the really good run that um, Renato makes, and then his header is like oh, fucking perfect. Um, to get past Courtois, but I think uh, th- that should lead to the end of the game here. Where, where again, like you said, Brazil comes very close to scoring, especially on and what was it like a ninety second minute? Um, Neymar hits a curler from like just outside the box, and Courtois. Like I said this to Peter during it was like if Courtois is like six three or six four, he probably doesn't make that save. But it like when they show the replay. It makes it look easier for him because he's so long. He's so long and like just gets his arm. It's, too. it's still not an easy save though. Like episode that makes it look easy because like it is still it was an impressive save. Yeah. No. 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 Definitely. Definitely. I, I'll give the giraffe his credit when when it's due. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, he had a great season this year. We already talked about it. Yes. Yeah. And he oh, and, also I yeah. showed a. Uh, Showed me on this picture when I was watching the game. It was like a, I think I can't remember what the exact stat was. I think it was like most clean sheets since like 2011, 2012 season or something like that. It was because uh, our boy Emmanuel Neuer just had a, a recent birthday and it was talking about how he had the most clean sheets since that season. But in third place was Thibaut Courtois, just behind one behind Buffon and two behind three behind Neuer. I feel like it was like kind of a and. For those listening, they'll know uh, both Rion and Ellie's know that I am a, a huge uh, hater of Kepa, Arisabalaga, the current Chelsea keeper. But like, it truly emphasizes how much of a step down it was. We had like a probably like top three in the world goalkeeper, and 
to uh, I think okay, okay, worst, all right, all right, cut him off, cut him off, cut him off, <laughs> cut him off. He's off. He's out. He's out. He's out. He's out. All right, let's stop. We're done recording. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, yes, yeah, Peter. If you've heard me before, uh, passively try to talk, try to say that a goalkeeper is not a problem on teams it has always been directed at Peter. But I have recently, I will admit that Kepa has. I as I was doing my research for uh, our team of the year, and I, I think I might have said this in the team of the year episode too, where you know, I conceded that Kepa Kepa it was worse this season than I was a factor, which was what I was saying the whole fucking time. Yeah, it was a a factor again. Yeah, yeah, again, I. Still think maybe a bit too much blame was thrown, but you he was worse than I thought. No, no, yeah. no. Yeah. He's worse than I thought, but not as bad as you thought. So it's like yeah. in the middle. He was right. right where I thought. He was right where I thought the whole time. You're just not understanding how bad that was. Right, this is not. This is not. We're not talking about Spain here. So uh, I. They, <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> that should take me to. That takes. That takes me to at least. Um, who are for you guys? If you have like one or two just individuals who are like winners from this game, like just who came away from this game, like whether it might be like reputation wise or just because of how well they played in this particular game or because they surprised you or something like that. I'll start with me. Like one, my big one is probably how much credit I give to Roberto Martinez um, in comparison to before. In comparison to how I thought he, uh, how good of a manager I thought he was before, but even so, not too much credit. I agree uh, with you. I think, I think he's a big winner. I, I think big winner because of how his tact, his tactics in this game, I thought were pretty much perfect until like the last like, whatever fifteen twenty. Where honestly, it seemed like Belgium kind of got tired by the end too. Yeah, after I mean doing seventy five minutes of of counterattacking, uh, yeah, I, I get it. Roberto Martinez absolutely deserves credit for all that. I one hundred percent agree with that, without a doubt. Um, the only, uh, I guess, person that I would probably add to that from the Belgium team is um, Axel Witzel. I think this was uh, a standout performance from from him, in my opinion. I thought he was everywhere, covering covering ground. Uh, defensively alongside Fellaini and Fellaini also stepped up as well. But Axel Witzel for me kind of like rejuvenated his career in, in that game. Um, And like you said, like he is now a key player for Dortmund and that conversation kind of reignited after this game. So I I have to hand it to him for that. Uh, I would say I have like two from performance and then one just like personal bias, but I'll try to be quick with it from like, Performance, I would say one like is the easy one is Kevin De Bruyne. We mentioned before, I think he's like man of the match, but especially given how he's performed since, uh, just kind of like, I think that that was one of the times where he's really established himself on like the world stage and being like, look, like I'm a person that feels comfortable taking control of a game like relatively easily, especially given that that was like inevitably the winning goal. And I think like, I think it was Elliot that mentioned before, just about every counterattack was going through him, like he just played an overall great game. Uh, two, I think Coutinho, especially given like he's gotten a decent amount of flack with his time in Barcelona and things like that. I think that he was one of the few standout players for the Brazil side. I think he had a solid game and like reminded of us what he is able to do every now and again, even though. Even though what, Peter? Peter, you went out. 
just things we've gone through. Like you saw him running off after the first goal, even though he didn't actually score it. Like just the pure joy on his face was happy for him to get that win. I'm going to talk about company. Or is, wait, who is, who is the, who is the person? <laughs> company was the last one. Yeah. Company. Oh yeah. Yeah. He did. He did run off. He did run off very, very happy. He was so excited. And I, I'm just a fan of him. Like he had a tough career. So it was kind of like nice to see that for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think an overall, it would have been, it would have been really actually awesome to see him get to uh, pull the world cup up, but you know, they, they end up getting third in this game. And I think overall, like, Overall winner, obviously, is is Belgium, right? Just just reputation wise, as we <laughs> said, like like overall, <laughs> obviously, overall winner is Belgium's reputation, Belgium and their reputation from this game. Because I think Elias, like what you said at the beginning, saying like, yeah, this is something of a turning point in for Belgium in terms of, I guess, their or this generation's stature, right? Like this is the first time in a very long time for Belgium that the major public got to see them beat a quote unquote world power. Right. So that like, that's where it comes to. We're talking about this golden generation of players who have now gone from 2014 world cup, making it to the quarterfinals there. And then going into uh the 2016 Euros, they make it to the quarterfinals in France as well. And then in 2018, we see them get end up getting third place at this. And I, and I know I talked a little earlier about how we're probably looking at them as one of the top, top favorites for the 2018 Euros. But, I mean, this is a team of, I think, for me, at least their bench was not that great in this game. But Belgium's, yeah, I don't think their bench was really that good in terms of the guys they have. Really have that much depth, though. Yeah, exactly. I, I like I, th- I think we saw all their best players, their best players in the starting eleven. And honestly, even just with that, like I'm just looking at their substitutes right now. Tom, I forgot Thomas Vermaelen did come on into this game at the end. He did he? Did I remember <laughs> yeah. that? I'm so proud of him. <laughs> Like I, I actually, Ellis, did he did he play like has he played like ten games for? <laughs> Dude, he for has Barcelona? played multiple games, both as a sub and as a starter for Barcelona. And almost every game that he played, in my humble opinion, has been solid performances. So oh, I have no problem with him. Yeah, so he had, yeah, you had Vermalen. Like looking through this, Simon. <laughs> Mignolet, of course, on the bench, too. Dries Mertens didn't even start this game. I can't remember if he was injured or something like that, but or just generally. No, I don't think he had I a, think it was just I think his great season was after the World Cup, though. I, I felt like he had a solid team. Was. That, but, like, his really good one was after the World Cup. Or no, no. I think no, it was no, 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 no. This, was, this was leading up. Yeah, yeah, because this, cause this yeah. is coming off of his last season, or Sarri's last season with Napoli. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah, because because looking at twenty, right, yeah, right. yeah, you're sorry. So you're, you're sorry. this is coming. This is coming off of like Merten scoring what like thirty goals or something in in yeah, uh, yeah, in Syria. Fantastic season. And he scored. Yeah. I, didn't he? He scored in like their in Belgium's like first game of the World Cup. He had like that really good like volley. I remember. Yeah, but, but I thought but, he was off the bench as well. If I remember. Yeah, yeah, I think you might be right. 
So, I mean, he just can't even get into the team because of the guys that, because of, well, one, because of how they chose to play in this game, but because of those three guys up top, it's hard to. I mean, you have Hazard and Hazard as well. Like, yeah. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. And then you have, you have Hazard's brother, Thorgan Hazard, on the subs for this game, who obviously now is probably a bit more, is definitely more of a, a factor in, in the Belgian team, but. Uh, he, so looking, he had a good season before that as well, right? He was like at Munch and Gladbach to Dortmund. Yeah. Like he was, he was looking pretty solid. Yeah, I think I think like the 2018 season might be like I think the 2018 season, 2018-19 is like his first one at Dortmund. Um, see, going through the subs like Yuri Tillemans, who now against someone who's who wasn't on wasn't on Leicester at the time is now and and getting more plaudits now. At blast from the past, Adnan Yanazai. <laughs> I remember we saw. Yeah. I remember we saw we him. Nah. On the bench. Oh my god! Oh uh, man, it's just amazing thinking about him and like what, like David Moyes' first season at been. United. Like we all thought he was going to be so. He was so good. Like his first like three games or whatever. With he was the next thing. The next big thing. Oh, like. yeah. And then like I think I at one point too, England was trying to get him to like switch over too. So like, uh, yeah, amazing stuff there. And then. And then another um, light-skinned <laughs> Belgian midfielder that ends up going to China, Musa Dembele. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, oh, yeah, that's something I haven't heard in, in top-tier world football in about three years. <laughs> that's crazy. And, and then, uh, obviously, to round it out, too, the, the always, just never, always finding ways to frustrate and just... Disappoint the hell out of you. Uh, if you're a Chelsea fan, it's Mitchu Bashuai on the bench in this game. Oh my god, I saw that. Fair, <laughs> <laughs> he has his moments. Like that's the moment they're very far in between. Yeah, yeah but <laughs> like at first you're like, okay, like every now and again he's pretty nice, he has potential. But then like it went on long enough, and now you're like, dude, like. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> it hasn't gotten any better since. And then, yeah, they happen like less often. Like they happen less often though. Like what the uh, fuck are you doing, man? It's tough. Like yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't even. Oh, gosh, she comes on as a sub in the game, and you just know the game's already over. So, uh, two of the most important goals uh, scored, that I've seen though. Like, scored, yeah, scored, scored like, the um, scored the title winning goal in, in 2017. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. Like I remember being like, "Wow, who would have thought?" I mean, the goal was an absolute like, just like it wasn't. It wasn't like a good goal. It was like a scuffer, but like it, it worked nonetheless. You know that that Paul Rudge? We like, oh, look at us. Who would have thought? Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh! And then he was the, the, game, he scored bro. against Ajax. Yeah, he scored. He scored the goal away to Ajax this year in the Champions League. In the Champions League, yeah, the, the one exactly. that won that game, like in the last like five minutes of the game. Yeah, no, he's he scored literally just proving my point. He scores a couple oh important God. goals, but like, bro, like, I'm sorry, he the man has no idea what a pass is. He, he named two goals over the last three seasons. I yeah, yeah, I'm talking about, yeah, we're, yeah, we're talking about two goals that I can remember <laughs> off the top of my head. <laughs> Every other goal is like FA Cup early, yeah. early round FA Cup League Cup game. Or like the uh, game's already over. He scores like the fourth one, put us up four yeah. to one. It's like yeah, it's good. like and it's like sometimes it's like nice too. You're like, oh, nice. But like he's not gonna actually do that when it matters. But like, yeah, uh, but yeah, Mark, you go fuck off, God. <laughs> 
Oh uh, yeah. Okay. Well, sorry, Ellie. Sorry, I didn't mean to get therapeutic on that <laughs> there. But uh, no, I'm glad you guys got that out. I was wondering. This just became a LC circle jerk session, of which yeah, I'm very yeah. happy to listen to. Uh, it's, it's, well, that was the absolute opposite of a jerk of a, of a jerk off right there. That was. I don't know what you want to call it. Just the absolute opposite. Extremely celibate. Really every, uh, extreme <laughs> extreme celibacy every time. Uh, that's why he steps on the pitch. So. <laughs> Extreme <laughs> celibus. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah. Um, well, like I said, the, the golden generation of of Belgium finally delivered. In some, I mean, I don't like. It. We should say no, nothing wrong. Like this is a really good accomplishment, getting third place in the World Cup. But uh, but caveat being, is this? Do we think this is like their peak? I guess that may be a question of: Do you think they'll? how good of a shot you think they have to win the Euros, but, like, it's pretty much, I feel like this and the Euros, they're two, two best chances for this generation to win, uh, yeah, to, like, win a championship. Truly, truly unfortunate the Euros were delayed. I think that, granted, I think we mentioned a little before as well, but, like, it depended on whether or not Hazard was going to be back in time for this uh, Euros, if had they been this summer. But I think that, like, adding another year on is not helping their case. That makes any sense. Like, I think one of the main places that Belgium might be lacking at that point in time is like looking at the def- defenders. They're like, what? Like, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. The company was already injured. Vermont's going to be out of the squad next year. Alderweireld will be going like 32, 33. So he'll probably still play, but just look a little bit older. And like, I don't know any of these other guys. I'm not sure if you do. Maybe Castagne. Like, I just, I don't know any of the other yeah. like, no, defenders no, that like, Belgium has. Yeah, I, I think like one of the one of the special thing one of the, like the special things about this generation, like if you're looking at the guys who got their debuts between 2008 and 2011 for for Belgium, you're looking at Courtois in 2011, Alderweireld in 2009, and then you've got Axel Witzel get in get his first cap in 2008, and Hazard also got his first cap in 2008. Interesting, now that Axel Witzel got his cap before before Hazard, but Hazard gets his first cap in 2008. Um, Kevin De Bruyne in 2010, uh, in 2011 is Nasser Chadley who starts this game, uh, and we know very little about him now. Feels like, but but he's in, he's playing in Belgium again. Um, Lukaku gets his in 2010, Mertens 2011, and then Christian Benteke 2010. Um, I mean, this yeah, Benteke like, was hot a little. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> he, he did have like one really, really good season at As- or a couple really good seasons at Aston Villa, and then as soon as he went to Liverpool, it just all dropped off. <laughs> yeah, it was a shame. Yeah, but this is like truly like it, the, the discrepancy between that and like some of the players who have gotten their caps in the last like three or four years. That's that's where the gap is, I think, in their talent and why I. Like I agree with you, Peter. Like, if Eden Hazard was healthy, like this was like they're they were all like at the perfect age. I think, like in terms of experience, like they were all late twenties. Outside Lukaku's mid twenties, but like all pretty much your best players late twenties, like fully established, fully mature players, and that's kind of the most important thing at the World Cup. I feel like is just the experience. Um, yeah, not letting the nerves get to you. You've all been yeah. able to play on the large stage, like 
been in Champions League, either finals, semifinals, like Europa League finals. Like you've you've, you've been on a big stage and know what those nerves are like. It's not going to get to you. And a lot of you are playing like either in similar leagues or have before or played together before. Like a lot of this Belgian team had had a few tournaments together. Exactly. Yeah. And, and like, especially because also in these World Cup, in like international play in general, right? Because these guys don't play with each other week in, week out, like at clubs and, and the manager doesn't see them every day and whatever, right? Like you have to be like more, everything's a bit more pragmatic in terms of like just getting results and just like doing enough. Like that's where you have, that's where you end up having like Giroud as your starting center, center forward. And it actually goes really, really well, even though like Karim Benzema is much better. And as like, I'm sure you guys have seen <laughs> oh, you a really, couple of yeah. quotes, <laughs> Karim Benzema is calling himself Ferrari. And disrespectfully, a, a very big disrespect to a, to a World Cup winner. There he Calls uh, Olivia Giroud a cart, a go kart. To, I think, think he said Formula One, not Ferrari. He said it's Formula One. Formula one yeah, yeah. <laughs> go kart would have been. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, so that is literally what he said. He said it's a Formula One car versus a go kart. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh my God! I thought it was Formula yeah. One, uh, like driver to like a regular car. Uh, like no, far worse, far worse. But yeah, this is a team that like, you know, just being together, like you said, you said, like around them coming and debuting around the same time, coming up together, everything like in World Cup play. It's just it's just about like continuity and just kind of being okay with your roles because not everyone's going to be able to play. Like like you saw Mertens not even being on the fucking field, not even getting subbed on in this game. Yeah, Mertens will be a stretch for next uh, for next Euros as well. 32 already right 32. now. 33. Yep. Yep, and exactly. I forgot about uh, Vertonghen, but Vertonghen, I think, had a few injuries before as well during their last World Cup. Like, hopefully he stays healthy, but he's going on, like, what, 33 next summer? Or, no, 34 by the time next summer comes around. Just, like, a lot of the squad is going to be looking a bit aged. I don't know how the Brazil squad actually will be standing at that time, but I think it'll be interesting to see. With the Brazil squad, though, I'm... Curious to see who's even brought up because every like two to three years they go through this like weird transformation where there are new emerging players. Like we were talking about it before we started, right? Like Rodrigo and Vinicius, right? Where are they going to be in two years or where are they going to be for the Copa America next summer? Like where are they, you know what I mean? Like all these things, like just you don't know. So it's one of those teams. Right. And like if you're just looking from this team, like there's obvious areas where. Going into, I mean, so th- this Brazilian team ends up winning the 2019 Copa America. Like we should, we should throw that into like this again. Wounds, man, wounds. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, that, I mean, that in that tournament, they're just like the, they were the best team, <laughs> like the most talent, the best team, just in general. Like there was like that Argentina team. Just whatever. like we don't have to get into. It. I, I had a real gripe with Argentina with the Argentina team in 2018 that just. It just refused to try to play like Dybala and Messi at the same time. It just made no sense. But uh, no sense at all. <laughs> just never attempted it. Just never really attempted to start the both of them. Just, I just could not believe it. Uh, but no, keeping on the Brazil Brazil team here. Just yeah, going forward, there's going to have to be some sort of some cycling out of these guys. You don't expect Thiago Silva to be a major factor in 
next World Cup for sure, but even in Copa America next year, I, I mean, we'll we'll see. He's still he's still starting for PSG, so it's not like he's just completely done. But that's like even that position. You, Marquinhos was on the bench for Brazil here, so that's probably he takes over that role. It, I guess it really is all about like what we see happen with these guys like Marcelo, uh, João Miranda. Thiago Silva, like those positions, the Paulinho and Fernandinho positions. Um, obviously, you have Fabinho emerging from Liverpool, so that's easy fit right there. Yeah, but, I think uh, Richarlison. I'm interested to see how he looks in two or three years. I feel like he'll actually be kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That that's someone who could fit into the role that, that you can just kind of slip into where Willian has been starting for the past like four or five years. But easy, easy. I think there's, I think there's, I think. This Brazilian team has a lot to look forward to at the same time. At this, same with Brazil. For sure. Yeah, I think I think if I had to put more money on who does well in their respective competition zeros in the Copa America, I'd probably put more on, on Brazil right now. Even though like Belgium stepped up in an incredible way, I don't know if they'll have the same players to do that the next time around. Brazil constantly looking at their pipeline of players will almost always have that. So yeah, I'm, I would probably go with Brazil to answer the, I guess like the original question. Yeah. And I guess with that, um, that's all we got on this game today, guys. Uh, thank you very much for coming on. Hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Uh, maybe, maybe, if, maybe we'll have you on again if we uh, go through a Chelsea game at some point. Yeah, no, we, in my we, we will. <laughs> well, don't worry. We'll have another podcast out talking about Hazard and Neymar and their respective qualities and exactly why Neymar is is a better player. So don't worry. Look out for that one. That's uh, that's going to come. Arguable. It's arguable, but yeah. Yeah, sure. We'll have yeah. about a five minute discussion about it and then we'll call it. So cool. <laughs> all right. Word. We will talk to you guys soon. And, uh, and thanks oh, for listening. Guys.